I'll get it together here in a minute. What a beautiful day it is to come and together as brothers and sisters in Christ and worship our Father, to pay homage to His Son, our Savior. Uh, if you're expecting Nathan to talk this morning, well, I know that you're disappointed, and we traded out for, so that he could be gone on vacation, and I thought maybe it'd be a secret, but looking at the size of the crowd, maybe they found out I was talking instead. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you're a visitor, thank you for being here. I hope you'll find the services are according to God's will, and the things I had to say come from the Scriptures, and they're by truth. I have a topic this morning that is a difficult topic. As most of us who get up here and speak, we put lessons together that have to do with things that are important to us, or we're having trouble with in our lives, or we are weak at, and we're trying to build our strength. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Is your word your bond? Do you mean what you say? The words that come out of our mouth, it's pretty clear what Jesus talked about there. They're really a window into our soul into our heart and into our mind, how we really are. You know, the old saying is, if you keep your mouth shut, they don't know whether you're a fool or not until you open it. Well, the same thing goes with the rest of your life. What you think and, and what you believe occurs in your heart and in your soul, in your mind, and you open your mouth and it comes forth. Now, we read there, had Lonnie read, read for us those 11 verses, and there are a number of lessons that could come out of the 11 verses, but what I want to stress is what they started out saying about that the disciples were eating without washing their hands, and so it was implicated that they were defiling themselves. Jesus goes through a fairly long dissertation about how you have made the commandments of men over the commandments of God, and you're not following them. But in the 10th verse there, it says, When he had called the multitude to himself, he said unto them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. He told the multitude there, he said, You know, it's not the fact that they were eating with unwashed hands. Should they wash their hands? Sure. But that's not defiling. What defiles is that which is in the heart, which is in the mind, which is in the soul. And what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a man. Peter wasn't exactly sure, for he said to him, explain this parable. Let us know what you're really talking about. So Jesus said, are you still without understanding? To Jesus, this was pretty straightforward. And he thought it would be easy to understand. But Peter asked the question, give us some depth in the meaning of what you're talking about. Explain this to us. Skipping down to the 17th verse there, it said, Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Nothing comes out of the mouth that wasn't first thought of in our mind. The scriptures would say, in our heart. People do not murder someone unless they've thought about murdering them. David did not commit adultery with Bathsheba until he saw her and he thought about it. And therefore he did it. No one steals without thinking about stealing. No one lies without thinking that they need to lie. All of these things come from the mind and the heart and are manifest to us through what we say. Our word should be our bond. The things we say should be important. You know, in those old cowboy movies where 
two cowboys would come together, two ranchers would come together, and they would agree on something about land, and they'd shake hands. There wasn't any lawyer present. There wasn't any documents made up. It was my word against your word, and our word is good. What a good thing for us to see. I'll tell you that my little brother bought a house, built a house in North Carolina, and him and the person who built the house shook hands and said, okay. I don't know what the house cost, but it was hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I know there was no written deed or document, but you know what? My brother is a man of his word, and this contractor was a man of his word, and they built this house without the legal documents that normally are given and the real estate doctrines. Now, would I consider that foolish in today's time? Yes, I would. But you know what? My brother got a house, and him and the builder were both satisfied with the agreement they made. So your word or your bond is important, and we need to stress that, and we need to understand that. I want to go back in the Old Testament and look at Isaac. Isaac was given the promise from God that through him, just like Abraham, that his seed would be blessed. But we find in Genesis, the 27th chapter, if you remember the story there, that Isaac was deceived. Esau and Jacob were twins. Esau was born, howbeit only a few seconds before Jacob was born, he was the eldest. And therefore, he was the one that would normally be given the blessings, the inheritance from the father. Isaac, it's scripture says, loved Esau. But Rebekah, Isaac's wife, loved Jacob. And she heard Isaac, her husband, say to Esau, go out and hunt and bring back a venison and fix it for me because it's my favorite meal. And I will bless you before I die. Isaac was very old. He was essentially blind, evidently, and he had decided that this was the time to bless Esau. Well, Rebekah got what Jacob said, we're not going to do that. Instead, we find there in Genesis, the 27th chapter, in verse 9, Rebekah made a dish of lamb and sort of fixed it like you would fix the venison, evidently, and to fool Isaac that he thought it was venison. In the 11th verse, Jacob said, well, my skin is too smooth. He'll know I'm not Esau. And so they took the skin of an animal and put it over his arm so it would be hairy to fool him. In the 15th, 16th verse, they fooled Isaac with smell and touch, making him think he was Esau of the field and of hunting. 19th, 20th verse, they directly lied to him. So Isaac thought that this was Esau. And what did he do after he had eaten? He says, therefore, he said, to who he thought Esau was, but it was Jacob. God give thee of the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curses thee and blessed be he that blesses thee. He blessed Jacob thinking it was Esau. My question is, is what would you do? If you were Isaac... And somehow you got fooled into giving all your money to the wrong person. How would you be? You'd say, well, they fooled me. They lied to me. Therefore, it doesn't count. Well, this was long before the, the law of Moses. And we don't know the exact extent of what was there is. But that's not what Isaac did. Why? Because Isaac was a man of his word. And even though he was fooled, he blessed Jacob. Now, Esau comes in with venison and fixed up and gives it to him, says, eat. And what did Isaac say? Who are you? Who are thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly. He realized he'd been duped and said, who? 
Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me, and I have eaten of all before thou camest, and I have blessed him? But what did he say? He said, Yea, and he shall be blessed. Isaac was fooled. Isaac was lied to. Everything about this was just wrong. But he said, You know, I may have been fooled, but I said that this person who happened to be Jacob is going to be blessed, and he's going to be blessed. There wasn't any taking back of his word. The New Testament especially says and talks about not to swear. Now, the scriptures are not, most of the time, they're not talking about a curse word. They're not talking about taking the Lord's name in vain, God's name in vain. No, they're talking about an oath. Don't swear. Don't give an oath. You cannot uphold. And James, the fifth chapter, 12th verse says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And then he says, you know, if you go farther than that, you could fall into condemnation. You could say something that you can't do. A very minor thing is Monty asked me to write a check for the church. I said, sure, and guess what? I didn't write it. So I said I was going to, but I didn't do it. Now, I apologize, and we're all human, and we make mistakes. But how easy it is to say something and not do it, even though you had all intention of doing so. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, and the 33rd verse there, New King James Version, Jesus said this, Again, you have heard that it is said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. In other words, don't tell God you're going to do something and not do it. But Jesus said, But I say unto you, do not swear at all. Because you don't really have control of everything. You don't have control. Neither by heaven, don't swear by heaven, for it's God's throne. Neither by the earth, for it is his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by the head, because you cannot make one white hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatsoever is more than these is from the evil one. He said, don't make a promise be careful about making a promise because you can't even change a black hair to a white hair. I have plenty of them, but I couldn't do it myself. But he said, make it simple. If you're going to do something, say yes. If you're not going to do something, say no. And try and do not add to it, for you can get yourself into trouble. James, the fourth chapter, said in the 13th verse, says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow will we go in such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while, a little time, and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. That's pretty straightforward and plain. God taught me a lesson many years ago. Nancy and I were just married. I was a senior, I was going to be a senior in college, and we went to a, uh, a temp job that was outside of Pearland, Texas. And on the way there, we drove through Port Lavaca, Texas, and right outside of Port Lavaca, Texas is a huge chemical complex, huge chemical complex. I'm a chemical engineer. I looked at it. We drove through this town, and I don't remember the exact words I said, but I told my wife, who would live here? Man, this place is nasty. It's dirty. It's run down. It's right there on the Gulf Coast. And if y'all ever been down there, a lot of mesquite, a lot of, a lot of bugs, a lot of stuff. Man, ugly place. God looked down on me, and I had over 20 interviews. And you know where I got my job interview? Port Lavaca, Texas. I learned a lesson that I don't have control over that. And I got to be more careful of how I say what I'm going to do and not do. And he taught me that lesson. One good thing is, is 
You and I often can't keep our promises. We want to, but we don't. But God always keeps his. What a hope that is. What a, a wonderful thing that is. Hebrews tells us in the sixth chapter, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could, not, he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee, and so on. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath of confirmation is in them at the end of strife. You know, few people discussing some term, somebody say, well, by God, I'm going to do it. Can they do it or not? We don't know. But they're swearing by something that's greater than them. They don't have that control, but God does. And God, when he makes a promise, can keep it. There in Hebrews 6, chapter 17th verse, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who hath fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Fortunately for you and I, God does not lie. God keeps his promises. It took him a few thousand years to get it all set up the way he wanted it, but he sent his son to save us. And what we know from the scriptures is if we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and we keep his commandments, then we have a home in heaven. Why? Because God promised and God keeps his promise. What a hope that is, both sure and steadfast. We know that God does what he says. Way back there in Deuteronomy, Moses talking to the children of Israel who were about, as they were about to go forth and conquer lands. He says, Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth forth before thee as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face, so shall thy drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord hath said unto thee. Speak not thou in thy heart after that the Lord thy God has cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness... The Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. Not for thy righteousness or for thy uprightness of thy heart dost thou go to possess their land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto thy fathers. Moses told these people, he said, you're going to go in and conquer this land and God's going to conquer this land and he's going to do it because these people are evil, not because you're greatly righteous or you deserve it. Uh, yes, these were God-chosen people. But we know by reading the Old Testament, were they sinless? No. Did they do a lot of bad things? Yes. But God told them he's going to destroy these people through them, not because of their righteousness, but because of the people's evil, evilness and... I promised your fathers I would do it. By the time that Jesus came along and worked on this earth, the leaders of the Jewish people thought that they were righteous and godly and were doing things pleasing God, but, but they were doing the commandments of men. God promised the children of Israel that he would give them a land of promise, not because they were righteous, but because he promised it to their fathers. Okay, so things come out of our mouth is what is the intent and understanding of our minds and heart. Let's talk about 
wisdom concerning the tongue, what we should say. In Colossians 4 and 5, it says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. You know, you can talk to somebody and say, You're just wrong and stupid and dumb, and I don't even know why I'm speaking to you. Or you can talk to the individual and say, You know, sometimes I make mistakes too, and I really think in this case, you and I need to talk about it because I don't really think you're right, but maybe I'm not right, but let's talk about it. Now, which one of those do you want? Seasoned with salt. First Peter 3 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We often use this scripture talking about that we ought to study the scriptures. We ought to know what's in there. We ought to know why we have hope in God and that we can explain it to someone else. And all of those are good things. There's no doubt about it. But I want to emphasize that you're telling someone the reasons and the hope that's within you in meekness and fear. Meekness in that we should be humble in our discussion. Meekness in that we realize that we're not perfect either. Meekness in realizing that we are sinners too. We need to be meek when we talk about God and Jesus Christ to others. And with fear, we know that we fall short. We know that we're not perfect. So yes, we need to understand the scriptures and we need to know, we need to be able to tell people what the hope's within us, but we need to do it in the right way, seasoned with salt. First Peter 3 says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren being pitiful, are merciful, be courteous, not rending evil for evil or railings for railings, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are therefore called thereunto, I'm sorry, ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. How is it, how easy it is it when someone comes up and starts yelling at you that you yell back? Railings for railings. How easy it is for you to find something discouraging to say to somebody who's at the time being your enemy and saying bad things about you. Peter in this letter here says, don't do that. Do the other. Bless them. You know, Jesus said, bless your enemies. He says, don't do railing for railing. It's not what God wants his people to be like. He says, don't speak any guile. Don't be evil to when you speak, but be kind, be courteous. I like Job's writing here in the 27th chapter, Job, the first verse. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, As God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul, all the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. He says, As long as I'm alive, as long as I'm alive, I'm not going to speak wickedly, and I'm not going to lie, and I'm not going to utter deceit, which is what that means. How wonderful a man was Job. You know, back in Job 2, after all these bad things had happened to him, the Lord said to Satan, he said, Hast thou considered my servant Job, and there's none like him in the earth, a perfect man or a complete man and an upright man, one that feareth God and skeweth evil, and still he holds fast his integrity. He says, no matter what happened to Job, Satan, do you look at him? He is not going to fail me. He is going to hold his integrity 
As Job said, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. God praised Job for that. It was an important characteristic that Job had that we also need. Why not praise with our tongue instead of trying to cut people down with it? Ephesians 4 and 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. How many times have I spoken to someone and I didn't use it for edifying and I didn't do it very graceful? And grieve not to the Holy Spirit of God, wherein you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Don't let those things come out of your mouth. But you know what? They come from the heart. So we need to work on the heart and on the mind because that's where they come from. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. We just need not to say those things. And to do that, we need to have a heart that is clear of those things. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Like in all things, as we follow the Christian life, there is no better example than Jesus Christ. A man that was tortured, spit on, cursed, hung on a tree to die. You know what he said? He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm not sure I would have said that. I'd have probably wanted wrath coming down on those people, but not my Savior. He didn't let things come out of his mouth that were bitter or evil speaking or with malice. What was in his heart was forgiveness. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Again, it goes back to what's in our heart and what's in our mind. If we're thinking about these things, then these are the things that come out of our mouth and we don't defile ourselves. What comes out of the mouth of men defines a man. It's what's in our heart that's important. And you and I need to work and strive and think on the things that are good so that what comes out of our mouth is good and not evil. That's the lesson in the morning. I hope there's been something of interest to you you can think about during the week and strive to work at having the right things to say to people. It is a custom at this time that we offer a song of invitation. If there's someone who's taught sufficiently and is subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing two verses of the song selected.